Hebrews 10, let's uh, take a look at or start here at uh, verse number 19. That's Hebrews 10. Uh, we're going to start at 19 and uh, we'll finish up with verse 25. All right, here we go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in faith, assurance, or excuse me, with a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. One big run-on sentence. Sort of sounds like Paul, right? Continuing on in 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you. I'm sorry. I was supposed to ask everybody to stand, and I didn't do that. Hey, would you all be seated, please? Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. Um, in the Greek, that's all one sentence. Just a little bit of trivia there for you. Um, would you guys join me in prayer? go before the Lord. Father, we are grateful, Lord, for the reality of what we've just read, that we have access to the holy places. Lord, we have direct access to the throne room of you, our God, that we can come before you, Lord, um, is not something that we have earned. There's no way we would have been able to gain that access on our own, but we recognize that that is completely through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we are grateful this morning for that reality, that truth, and Lord, um, just as much, maybe even more, that you have um, worked it out so that you would draw us to yourself to know and experience the love of Christ. Father, that that's not just a distant truth, that is a truth that we can apprehend by faith. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that this morning our hearts would be inclined toward you, that we would begin, Lord, as we have, Lord, as we've been singing about, by coming to you, Lord, in faith. Father, you are good and you are gracious, and we are so grateful for that reality. I pray, Father, this morning that you would... Um, help us to learn from your word uh, the things that you would have for us. May you be honored in these things, Lord. We also pray, Father, for the other um, like-minded churches in this area. And I, I want to pray in particular for Imago Day Community Church, which is um, getting their start um, here in Pasco. And they've, they're just a few weeks in, and so I pray for them as well this morning, Lord, and ask that you would bless their ministry and, Lord, really, that you would continue um, raising up churches that would be faithful in preaching the gospel and faithful in taking it forth and making disciples um, to experience this, this good news that we have in Christ. Um, Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, thank you guys. This has been a great morning already, and uh, it really is fun to be out here. I enjoyed um, the, the songs that we've been singing. Uh, this is our last Sunday outdoors for a little while, and so it's, it's a privilege. You know, it's not everywhere that you get to see a, a golf cart with a giant TV strap to it, you know, so this is, this is a, a sweet time. So we're really um, glad that you guys are here. Uh, I want to start this morning by um, calling upon a memory that probably most of us share. Um, most of us at some point in time in school were involved in group projects. And um, I, I remember in particular being involved, um, it was in high school chemistry class. And uh, if you remember high school chemistry class, you know, it's, it's normally broken into two parts. You have your lecture portion and then you have your, your lab. And I remember being assigned a lab partner and it was a young lady who um, was there because she had to be there, <laughs> like most of us in that class. And she didn't really like science and she didn't really care about the lab and she was just along for the ride, which meant I ended up doing most of the work on this, this group project, this, this lab partner situation. And then I remember, um, you know, I, I eventually went on to college and I was able to test out of science, so I didn't have to take a science class. But by some weird loophole in the system, I still had to take a lab. So even though I didn't have the lecture portion, this is gonna do stuff, isn't it? So even though I didn't have the, the portion of this, I still had to take the lab, which meant I had to get a lab partner. And I ended up with another um, lab partner who, very similar situation, just didn't care about this class. And um, so again, I ended up doing most of the work for this little group project of ours. And, um, and so I came away from that just really not enjoying group projects. Just kind of a bad taste in my mouth for group projects and wishing that I didn't have to, to be involved in a group project. Why would I, I? I never understood. Why do teachers assign group projects? You know, why not just make us do it on our own? Um, so there, there's an impulse, I think, for many of us who've had similar experience to that to, to want to work alone. And I, I think there are probably times when working alone makes sense, but it's not really how God set up this world that we live in. Uh, we have an, an amazing amount of interdependence on each other. We drive on roads we didn't build. We eat food we didn't grow. Um, there, there's a TV show that maybe some of you have seen um, called Alone. I don't know if any of you have seen that TV show, Alone. And, and basically, you know, it's, it's one of these reality shows. It's a contest. They, they pick a whole bunch of individuals and send them off into the wilderness in some remote place and, and expect them to live on their own. And they're given a few supplies to start with, but more or less they have to build their own shelter and get their own food and cook it somehow and start fires and all this stuff, right? And the, the contest is whoever makes it the longest um, will win a million dollars. And so there's a fair amount of incentive there. You would think they would make it a long time. I remember we, we watched, I think this was during COVID. I think this was 2020. We watched a season of this because we were all trapped in our homes, you know, um, experiencing alone. But um, we, we watched a season of this, and I remember there was one guy that made it like two hours. <laughs> he went out in the, he was bragging about, he's, you know, he's so confident. He goes out in the wilderness, and there's like a bear growling, and he's like, I'm out. 
I'm out, done, you know. Um, but most of them make it several weeks, a couple months, somewhere in there. But what, what everybody experienced is it was harder than they thought it would be. Um, it's really hard from a physical standpoint. You have to, you know, catch all your own food and try not to starve. Um, but it's also really difficult on an emotional level. And so <laughs> ultimately everyone wants to give up and, um, and go back and, and experience real life with people again. Um, what we've seen in our sermon series over the last few weeks, you know, we've been going through this series called You Are Not Alone. We've been looking at a number of the one another passages of Scripture. And what we've seen is that the Christian life really is sort of like a group project, right? Hopefully in, in a good sense. But, but the Christian life really is a group project. And hopefully you don't get stuck with a slacker lab partner. Um, but the reality is that every once in a while we do. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves, every once in a while, we're the slacker lab partner, right? We're the ones that are, are being tempted by sin, or we're having a, a hard time struggling to follow Jesus. Uh, maybe things are, things are difficult, and there's a temptation to want to give up. And we need each other. We need the encouragement of people around us, um, encouraging us along the way. Um, today we're talking about this, this reality that in the Christian life we need each other. Nobody gets to be the lone ranger in the Christian life. If you're trying to do it that way, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and the very fact that you guys are here, in some sense I'm preaching to the choir on this. I mean, you're all here today. But there is a temptation to want to do it on our own. And, and every once in a while you talk to somebody who says, you know, I'd rather just, I'd rather just worship God by myself. You know, I... I prefer to be out in the in wilderness, you know, in, in the forest to, to worship God. I, I don't need the church. The truth is, um, not only are they deceiving themselves that they don't need anybody, but they're also missing out on some of the clear commands of Scripture, one of which is that we encourage one another. And so we're here in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 through 25, where we see this responsibility to help each other faithfully follow Christ. And um, before we get going, let me pray one more time. So, Father, um, I pray that the wind would calm down, <laughs> among other things, Lord. Um, I, I pray also, Father, you have um, repeatedly, in many ways, told us to love one another. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would... Um, Grant us a love for one another such that we would want to help each other in our walk with Christ. Lord, help us to have a, a heart that desires to encourage and help one another. And Father, I pray also that we would each have the humility to, to accept that help. Because I know that can be hard at times as well. And so, Lord, I, just prepare us for this message. Open our hearts to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of uh, background for the book of Hebrews. Um, the book of Hebrews is really written uh, sort of as a sermon uh, to address a danger that they were facing. And the danger is that some would abandon the Christian faith, this community that they were a part of, and return to Judaism. Uh, they were dealing with something that was very similar to what you see in the world today with the deconstruction 
movement, if you're familiar with that, of people questioning their faith. And, and, you know, difficulties come. And at some point, people say, why bother? Uh, Let's just go with the flow. Let's find the path of least resistance. Let's do what everybody else is doing. And in this context, for these folks, what that meant was going back to their Jewish tradition. Um, It meant going back and and getting away from all the peer pressure because there was a lot of peer pressure that they were dealing with. And and, um, the author here is is challenging them. Let let me give you a few examples, actually, before we dive into this this passage. A few other verses from Hebrews that point to this. So Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There was a real danger that they were facing that some would drift away from the truth, just wander away. And whether they had faith or not up to this point, not really addressed there, they were probably part of this community and being tempted to leave it. It was too hard. It's much easier ways. So they were being tempted to drift away. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, a little bit past what we're reading today, verse 36, he says, For you have, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Such a relevant message today. We have need of endurance. So how do we get endurance? Where does endurance come from? Um, how, do we, how do we avoid giving in to cultural influences that, that would push us away from faith in Christ? And there's a lot of ways we could answer that question, right? You, you and I could probably come up with some ways to tell people what to do. You know, try harder, read your Bible, confront the lies, stand up for the truth. The author of Hebrews goes a little bit different direction in our passage today. He doesn't tell us just to try harder. Instead, he reminds us of the responsibility that we have to each other. And so what's going to keep us faithfully following Christ? And the answer is the fellowship of the saints. You guys are going to keep each other faithfully following Christ. And so let's consider how he develops this idea. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10. And he begins by reminding them of the incredible privilege provided to us in Christ. And then he goes on to give like a three-point call to action. So verse 19, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. And let me pause there because he's laying kind of the if-then statement. In light of this, since this is true. And what he's reminding them of is that we have direct access to God himself through Christ. It's really kind of a summary of everything he's set up to this point. So the first ten chapters of Hebrews is essentially Jesus is better. That's the message. Jesus is better than 
a, he's a better prophet than Moses. He's a better priest than Aaron. Um, he brings a better covenant than the old covenant. Um, he is a better sacrifice than anything we could ever offer. Jesus is better. And so because of that, the result of all these things is that those who put their faith in Christ now have direct access to God in a way that the old covenant could never get them. So the old covenant was pointing ahead to what they find in Christ. And so in Christ, we have, he says, confidence to enter the heavenly holy places. And so um, you see this over in chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, pointing to the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so what he's saying is, you know, they didn't have access, free access into the temple. You had to be a priest to go into the temple. You had to be the high priest at a certain time to enter into the Holy of Holies. Um, what, what they're saying, what this author is saying is not only would they have access into the holy place such as the temple. They have access into the real holy place, the one that the temple is pointing to. They have direct access. We have direct access to heaven. But beyond that, he goes on to say that they have direct access. Once they get there, they have direct access to God himself. And so over in chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, let me just read that for us. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's pointing to this reality that we have the ability to draw near to God through Jesus, who is a perfect high priest forever. And so he's laying this foundation. He's reminding them, really, of this foundation at this point, that we have direct access not only to heaven, but to God himself. And so the question then is, in light of that, now what? How should we respond? Um, so we have three kids Kim and I do, and each of our three kids have, um, you know, when they turned 16, gotten their license, and um, through God's provision in many ways, we've had cars for them, and they're not new, amazing cars, but we've had cars for them. Now, I, I want you to imagine, like, we hand Abby the keys to the car, and, and we give her these keys, and we say, it's your 16th birthday, you can drive now, and what if she were to say, that's okay. I like walking. What, what's the likelihood of that happening? Like, not at all, right? All three of our kids were very excited to drive. I know when I was, when I was 15, I was begging my mom to let me drive <laughs> early. Um, yeah, I, I was chomping at the bit to drive. You know, the reality here is what he's saying is you have been given this incredible privilege. Why would you not take advantage of? And so his first call to action point is to come to God by faith. Draw near to God. So look at what he says in verse 22. 
He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. So since we have direct access, we have to come to God by faith. It's very similar to what he says back in chapter 4. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He tells us here in chapter 10 what that looks like. It involves having hearts sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. It involves our bodies being washed with the pure water of baptism. What it means to come to God, to draw near to Him, is to come through Christ. That's what he's saying. And so in the Old, Te Old Testament, it's, it's a terrifying thing to approach God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in our time, it would also be a terrifying thing to approach the throne of God, except that we have Christ. Christ giving us free access to the Lord. And so we have this privilege. Um, we should not turn that down. Imagine turning that down. And then he goes on in verse 23. After you draw near by faith, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And of course, this, this was the point. This was the, this was the main point. This is the point that the author has been driving home through all of Hebrews is that they need to cling to this hope. They need to not wander away. So he tells them to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That confession is their affirmation of the truth of the gospel. They've declared their hope is in Christ and they need to stick to that. Um, hold fast to that. So all their hope is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It's not in anything else that this world has to offer. And what he could have done is he could have stopped there. Come by faith, cling to hope. And that would have probably been enough. It's probably where I might have stopped. Um, but he knows the importance that this is a group project. And so he goes on to emphasize the importance that we have in helping each other. And so verses 24 and 25 tell us to encourage one another to love and good works. So verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stir up one another. It's a word that means to provoke to action, to, to motivate the person, to push them, to give that good shove in the right direction. That's the idea. It's this, this motivation that you're trying to provide to people. And you're motivating them to love and good works, to a full expression of the Christian life. He tells us, let us consider how we can do this. So I want, you to, I want you to pause for a second. I want you to consider how do we motivate each other to love and good works? What does that look like? And maybe consider what, does that look, what has that looked like in your own life? How have people motivated you to love and good works? I think there's 
a number of ways that this can, can play out. I can think of quite a few. Sometimes people just need to be given a chance. They need an opportunity. Uh, last summer, I, I got the opportunity to lead a mission trip with um, a number of, of our youth here. Actually, it was the youth group at the time at Reliance Fellowship. And um, I'll tell you what, they stepped up. They, they, they took advantage of the opportunity. They stepped up, and they did amazing stuff. We, we painted an entire church building and then this other large building. And um, the, the guy that was pa the pastor there had started by telling us, you know, if you can get one, one full wall of this church building, we would be really happy. And instead, we got the whole outside of both buildings done. It was amazing. It was, it was awesome how much work they did, and it was really hot that week. Um, but they did a great job. They just needed an opportunity, and they were able to step up and serve in an amazing way. For me, I can look back through the years and see a number of times where God, um, through his people, gave me opportunities. I remember the very first time I ever got to teach anything. I was in seventh grade, and we went on a, um, a youth group trip to the beach, and um, the, the trip itself was not necessarily a, a super spiritual time. It was just fun at the beach. But every morning, we had devotions. And one morning, um, and we knew this in advance, um, one morning I was leading the devotion for the day. And I was in seventh, seventh grade. I have no idea what I taught. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that good, you know. Um, <laughs> but I was given an opportunity. And it pushed me. And it awakened in me kind of an interest. Like, oh, that wasn't terrible. I might be willing to do that again. And through the years, I had lots of opportunities. I got to do college ministry. Um, I, I was able to intern at a church um, fairly early on. I think I was 18 the first time I got to preach. I have no idea why I was given that opportunity, but I was. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was given opportunities along the way. And I remember um, I was in my 20s, and a pastor in Colorado um, invited me to teach a Sunday school class on how Christians should respond to current events that they're seeing around them. H how do we as Christians respond to all the issues in the world today? And I was just amazed that I was being asked to teach this class. Like, why would he ask me to teach this class? And it, and it was kind of just that opportunity. And, and so I think I rose to the challenge I was really excited about. It. I spent a lot of time studying and um, so I just want to ask you guys, when were you given a chance? When were you given an opportunity to serve in some way in the church? And, and probably you can think of some times. Um, sometimes you just need to be made aware of the need. So I know um, Naomi Rikers uh, for, for several years um, has done the meal train. Uh, she did the meal train over at Reliance Fellowship, which was basically if someone is sick or or just had a baby or, or some issue in life where it would be really helpful to have some meals provided, um, the church kind of rallies around and does that. And so Naomi would organize the, the thing online, send it out to everybody. And, you know, it's amazing. When people are aware of the need, they almost always step up. And, and it wasn't hard. We weren't twisting people's arms to provide meals. They were excited about the opportunity. They just needed to be aware of it. If they don't know about it, they assume everything's okay. But when the, when the need is, is shown, people respond. Um, sometimes, sometimes people need to be pushed to take action. 
Uh, probably not anybody here, but sometimes people really need to be pushed to take action. I remember when I was, uh, years ago, when I was in college, um, I had a guy on my hall, my, I guess that would be my sophomore year, that had gotten involved doing a, a kids club on Saturday mornings of all times, Saturday mornings at a local, um, kind of a low income area. And so he would go over there and he would rally all the kids together and they'd throw balls at each other and whatever else and then they would hear a Bible story and it was this, this really neat thing that he was doing, but it was on Saturday mornings. And I was in college and I didn't want to get up on Saturday mornings and I would have to be up and, and ready to go at 8 o'clock, you know, and Isaac's knocking on my door like, it's time to go. And there were several times where I would not have done that except that Isaac was pushing me. <laughs> Because he showed up and knocked on my door, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming, you know. I needed to be pushed. I needed a little bit of encouragement Saturday morning to do that. Um, maybe you guys have experienced something like that. Um, I know that uh, last week, you know, we were at the fair, at the county fair. And uh, last week, I, I know there were a few people that were signed up to serve, but a little reluctant. You know, you're going to go talk to strangers in a booth. Feels kind of like high-pressure advertising sales or something, you know. Like, who wants to do that, really? I don't know. Um, I think there's probably a few, like, extreme extroverts in the room or in, out here, but um, I don't think most of us would choose that. And yet, I talked to several who were pushed to do this and were excited for the opportunity and really, really enjoyed it, but they needed that kind of push in that direction. They need to be stirred up to love and good works. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes we just need to be encouraged. And um, that can look different ways for each of us. Uh, sometimes we need to be told that what we're doing is really good, that it's really helpful. Like, like this morning, um, Sean has been doing an amazing job with the sound system. He's, he's doing this number, but he has. Um, people need encouragement along the way. I remember uh, it was a couple years ago now, um, we've had a, a Bible study group that's met in our house for years, and it's a group of young adults, and Jonathan happens to be here this morning. And Jonathan was, um, was leading a Bible study, and I remember several of the young adults saying, hey, that was really good. We really enjoyed that, and you should do this more. And so um, that was, you know, really instrumental in his life um, in helping move him in the direction of ongoing ministry. And it was just the encouragement of other people around him saying, hey, this is pretty good. You should do that again. <laughs> so, so what I want to, I just want you to think about as we consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I want you to think about how you can do this. How can you motivate those around you toward love and good deeds? How can you encourage people in that direction? Do you need to drag someone along with you in ministry, like my friend Isaac did? You, know, you, you just grab them, kicking and screaming, you know, they're going to go with you. Uh, is it something like that? Do you need to encourage someone to keep up the good work? Uh, do you need to communicate a need so that people around you are aware of it? Um, that, that's one that sometimes I'm slow to do, slow to delegate. My wife is nodding. Yep, yep. 
So um, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The reality is we all benefit from that. Uh, he goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And it's like it was written today, you know. It's so relevant. Uh, not neglecting to meet together as is the, as is the habit of some, even today. Uh, it's it's an ongoing situation. I, I want to pause just here for a second and ask, what does regular church attendance mean to you? I, I think it's a sliding scale, if I were to, <laughs> if I were to guess. Um, I, I, we, have, we have friends, um, a, a guy that used to be a pastor over in Walla Walla. They've since moved down to Oregon. But um, he's, a, he's a pastor, and while he was in Walla Walla, um, he decided, or the, the church staff decided, they were going to um, do a little exercise. And every Sunday for a month, they had everyone in the church fill out this little attendance card. And at the end of the month, what they discovered is they had 600 unique people, 600 people that came to church in the course of that month. But their average attendance was 380, 380, which means, for all of you mathematicians, um, the average person came to church about twice a month, maybe slightly more. And so what they realized is they were serving way more people than they realized, but church attendance was kind of, kind of squishy. <laughs> to say that. Um, I think there's sometimes an impulse among many of us to see how much we can get away with, you know. Like you're driving down the road. If I go five over, is that okay? Um, it's okay to miss church every once in a while, right? So what about missing maybe one Sunday a month? Can I get away with that? What if I just show up half the time? Maybe Christmas and Easter, you know? I think that there can be that impulse. Um, what happens? What happens when we neglect meeting together? What happens if we only come half the time? I think the reality is if, if we only come half the time, we're missing out. We're not going to be encouraged to love and good works because we're not here to receive that encouragement. Uh, the, the testimony of the scriptures is that the early disciples met the first day of every week for fellowship, teaching of God's word. Um, in reality, they often met daily. The testimony of history is that the church has historically always met together every Sunday. And it was kind of expected. I remember growing up, it was, it was normal to be at church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. That was just kind of the routine. And um, that's changed quite a bit. And so we need to be aware of that. I, I think there's often a question of why the church in America is not stronger than it is. And perhaps it's because of this. Perhaps it's because of church attendance. Maybe if we were together more regularly, encouraging one another, stirring one another up to love and good works, the church might be stronger. Um, if we want to live out the Christian life, we need each other. We need to mot motivate each other to love and good works. I remember um, a few years ago, 
I sat down across the table from a guy. Um, we went out to lunch. Um, his dad, and he was concerned about his son. His son was a teenager, and he was concerned because his son was not interested in the Christian faith, just not interested. He was, he was exploring some other things and, and looking into other religions, kind of interested in spiritual things, but just not real interested in Christianity. And, and you know, this, this it was a mom and dad that, that loved the Lord. You know, they were Christians, like, deeply saddened about this for their son. And so the, the, this dad took me out to lunch. And so he's sharing this situation with me and, and asking my advice. Now, a little bit of background. This, this couple, mom and dad, um, did not attend church regularly. They would sometimes go months without showing up to church. And so you can imagine my first piece of advice. <laughs> my first piece of advice was, you should go to church every week. You should go to church. I don't even care if it's ours. Go to church. Pick one that teaches the Bible and go and take your son with you. Because the reality is their son didn't have that influence in his life, encouraging him in the Christian faith. And they were see the son was seeing a model of parents who were not making that a priority. Uh, without that influence in our lives, we are facing a very real danger. Um, I was just talking this morning with Lauren and Cindy, and they were recently in Yellowstone um, National Park. And if, if you've ever been to Yellowstone or if you've ever seen a nature show, know about the hunting habits of wolves, right? So the wolves gather in packs, and they go after the herd of elk, and what you find out in every nature show ever filmed is that the elk can fend off the wolves, right? They, they fight off the wolves. They use their hooves or their antlers or whatever they do. Um, they, they stay in a, in a collective. How did, the, how did the wolves get dinner? How, how did the wolves get dinner? This is, this is a real-time question. That, yeah, they separate one of them, right? They find the poor little baby elk, and they get it off by itself. And then they have dinner, right? So it's very predictable. It always happens that way. You know, you start watching the nature show, and you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. The poor little thing, you know. The, the reality is that happens for many who grow up in the church. Um, it's, it's really easy for the enemy to know how to take someone out. It's, it's the same thing. He just has to get us by ourselves. 1 Peter 5.8, a passage I'm sure you know, says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If only we had a way to protect ourselves. And the reality is we do. right? So Hebrews 10, let me read these last two verses again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What does that last little phrase there signify? As you see the day drawing near. Um, a number of years ago, Kim and I got to go on a mission trip to Bulgaria. And while we were there, 
um, one of the last days we were there, um, a gentleman, a Bulgarian man um, that we'd become friends with, took us um, on this hike. And so we hiked up this, this mountain, and um, at the top there was this amazing cave system that we got to go um, kind of take the little tour through. And as we're hiking up this, this trail, it wasn't a very long trail. I don't think it was even a mile. Um, we're hiking up this trail, and we see this sign on the side of the trail. And the sign says, you're almost there. Now, we didn't know that. It was written in Bulgarian, so we asked the guy that was with us, what does it say? And he says, it says, you're almost there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we haven't been hiking that long, but okay. And then we, we hike a little further, and there's another sign. And it's, it's written, and, and we ask him, and he says, it says, don't give up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess Bulgarians don't hike a lot. And so then we, we go a little further, and there's another sign. And oh, what does this one say? You can do it. You know, there, there's this whole series of signs, and it keeps going like that. And I think that's the same idea here. Right? We need to encourage one another. You're almost there. The end is drawing near. And we know what the end is. Christ will return. And when Christ returns, he will set all things straight. It will be judgment for some, to be sure. It will be reconciliation with our God for us who are saved. And there will come a day when, when no longer will we be facing the, the perils of this life the way we are now. Um, there will come a day when Christ returns and sets all things right. But until then, until then, we need those signposts along the way. You can do it. Hang in there. We're almost there. We'll get there. And so that's the role that we play in each other's lives. We need to stir each other up. We need to encourage each other. Keep going. Stay after it. It's okay. Yeah, that's hard. We know. Yeah, people are, people are difficult. But stay the course. Follow Christ. He is worth it. Amen? Let's pray. Um, Father, we know uh, that this world does present us with many perils. And Lord, we know that our hearts are prone to wander at times, Lord. That every one of us can be tempted by sin, Lord. That at times we, we don't feel like staying the course. Lord, at times it is, it is difficult for us to cling to hope. At, at times, Lord, we're even tempted to believe the lies of the enemy. And yet, Lord, we know that, God, you've provided a great resource for us in each other. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, help us to encourage one another. Lord, 